Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, my name is Jason, and if you're new here in particular, we want to say we're really grateful that you would uh, bother to drive out of your neighborhood on this particularly snowy weekend and walk bravely into a new place where you're not sure what's about to happen. Uh, the good news is we're often not sure either, so we're in this together. And really, we want to honor you. Um, that's what, really a commitment that we have for anyone who walks into this place. So if there's anything that we can do to help you um, know that you belong here, I hope that you'll let one of us know that. Uh, reach out to me or somebody wearing a lanyard or anybody who looks like they know what they're doing around here. And we'd love to help you uh, find a way of calling this home if that's what you want to do. Uh, so um, we've uh, got a lot of things going on around our community right now. I want to update you on just a couple of those. And while I do that... If you want to make an offering, our greeters will pass some baskets around, and you're welcome to do that. But there's never any pressure on that. And also, uh, a number of people in our community choose to give online, which might be an easier way for you to do that if you want to be a part of that. So uh, a few things going on. If you were here last week, uh, you heard Ryan lead us into a conversation about vulnerable children and families in our community and how, as a church, we can take that really seriously. And I hope that part of the impression that you got from that conversation, if you were here for it, is this is a long play for Southland City Church. So this isn't just meant to be like a blip on our radar as a church, like the issue of the moment and something that we'll move on from. We're quite committed uh, to building uh, carefully and long-term around vulnerable children and ways that we can be a great church for that. Uh, a couple of ways that that takes on practical form are things like adoption and foster care, which are not just callings for uh, maybe a few families to actually take on foster care or adoption, but those are callings for a whole church to walk alongside one another. And for the families that may actually do foster care or adoption, there's work for the rest of us to do to support and be alongside that, right? Uh, so if you've been thinking about that, if you've had some questions about it, maybe something's getting stirred up, uh, the next step that might really help you out is a week from today, Sunday evening next week from 6 to 8 p.m., we're holding a workshop here in 112, and we're going to talk specifically about foster care and adoption, practical ways that you can move toward that. We're going to have panels here, uh, people who have been involved in different parts of that, people who have been through adoption, whether it's domestic or international, people who have done foster care. So you can ask real questions about everything from like how you get into the process to what's it like to taxes, like all of that, like you can, you can kind of probe some of that together here next week. So it's a week from today, Sunday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we'll have childcare for the event, but help us out. If you want to bring your children and have them in childcare for the event, please RSVP on the Facebook event that we have so we know how many kids we're taking care of. If you've got any questions or if you want to um, let us know by email that you're coming, just email ryan at southbendcitychurch.com. Uh, and then one more thing, you got these cards uh, when you walked in. Uh, we're launching another round of tables right now. I could talk you through it, but it's all here on the card, okay? Uh, tables is one of our big three movements as a church. And we've got a bunch of new ones launching right now. You can go online to find a table that's a good fit for you. One note when you do that, notice online that we actually have a map. So some of our tables are as far flung as Goshen or Plymouth or St. Joe, Michigan, which we're actually really excited about because we want to offer that smaller community to people who are driving 40 or 50 minutes to this building on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights. But you might want to look at the map because if, if you don't want to drive 40 minutes to a table, you might want to know where the table is before you sign up, okay? So check out the map. Also note that uh, we launched a middle school table a little while ago, and that's also something that you can access or learn more about on the tables finder, southendcitychurch.com slash tables. Good? Awesome. Done with the announcements. Uh, hey, here's the deal. We are on the eve of a season in the life of the church uh, called Lent. And maybe you've heard of this, maybe you've experienced it, maybe it's something that other types of Christians did that you were around growing up, or maybe it was very much a part of your own life in a church community. 
But I'm just curious, when you hear the word Lent, or when you think about like the practices that you've been a part of or seen other people do in the Lenten season before Easter, I'm wondering, we're going to do a bit of an open floor. I'm so curious if anybody has any like memories of it, experiences of it. Have you ever given anything up for Lent? How did it go? Did you wonder why everybody else was giving things up for Lent? Did you wonder why there was only fish in the school cafeteria on Fridays? Like, like what was your experience? Anybody just want to talk to us? Like, what has Lent been like for you? What's your experience? Good, bad, ugly, weird, confusing, different? Yeah. Nicole, they, uh, they prayed the rosary together twice a week as a family during Lent. Yeah, thanks. Went to Mass every day for 40 days? Yeah. Or when you were in high school, sorry. Yeah, not that long ago. Uh, in high school, went to Mass every day during Lent. Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up in a community where everybody's Catholic. Yep. It's just kind of all around you, right? Joe said, when you grow up in a community where everybody's Catholic, you don't notice any difference because it's just kind of part of the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, Angela. Let me get that far. Angela says, when you grew up going to Catholic school, but Sundays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, you're in a fundamentalist church environment. So you're not Catholic, but you go to Catholic school. You have these clashes. Clashes. So have yeah. the priest in the homily, I can remember every year being told, don't give up broccoli. So she could remember the priest every year in the homily being told, don't give up broccoli. As in make a sacrifice. Like make a sacrifice that's meaningful. Yeah. But on Sundays, <laughs> On Sundays, you're being told, don't make a production about what you're sacrificing. It's a very personal, intimate mm. relationship. Mm -hmm. It's personal, it's intimate. Yeah, thanks, Angela. What else? We're going to start calling the Westsiders over here the strong bunch, unless, <laughs> unless I get something from south and east and north. Anybody else want to share? Yeah. For us, Sundays were cheat days. So. Sundays were cheat days, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like in, in, in a traditional practice of Lent, Sundays are still resurrection celebrations. So, you, yeah, you, you kind of like interrupt your, your Lenten practice with the Sunday resurrection practice, like a mini Easter every week, right? Yeah. Yeah, chocolate on Sundays. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody's afraid to make body language because they might think that you're raising your hand and in reality you're just stretching. Yeah. So my take on it is a little different. I, I um, always thought of Lent as it, some of the just rituals around it strictly as that, as just people doing something because they do it, they keep doing it and do it. And I've never really understood the whole process. I just, I mean, for me, I, a lot of I have a lot of like thought wrapped around the um, just being ritual and not yeah. the real meaning behind it. People doing it just because that's just what you do. Sit down, stand up, sit down, do this. Yeah, Joe. So it's interesting as we're getting into it to put some meaning behind it. Yeah. So Joe said his perspective on it has been like it just seems like one of those rituals people do because they do it. Kind of like stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. It hasn't hasn't had a sense of meaning for you but you're interested in whether the way we approach this might sort of instill that for you? Yeah, thanks, Joe. 
Uh, cool. Well, hey, that's actually maybe a great... Uh, you guys are always so good at seeing up what's next in the open floor if we just go long enough. I, w- I want to uh, press into that a little bit uh, because we're on the eve of Lent. And uh, I want to just share a bit of an introduction to it, uh, what it has meant historically and what it might mean for us as a community as we move toward this. So uh, Lent, um, first of all, we just talked through our mantras as a community last month, and maybe you were here for that. And, you know, one of our mantras, fields, not factories, uh, one of the things that we pulled out of that mantra is the idea that a field spirituality, which we believe is more intrinsically human than a factory spirituality, a field spirituality has seasons inherent in it, right? I mean, and the liturgical year is one of the ways that we give ourselves the gift of those seasons, which say you don't have to be, you know, cranking things out 365, 24-7. There's an ebb and flow to life that's actually a good and beautiful thing. So we've talked about fields and factories and how seasons are a part of that. And we talked about practices, not performances. And Lent, in fact, is a powerful, fantastic time to press into a way of practicing uh, movements in our daily lives that grow us in the way of Jesus. So that, that's uh, a nice fit for this community, actually. Uh, Lent is a thing that develops early on in the history of church. There's uh, a number of different accounts of its historical origins, and it depends on who you read and where you read. But one thing's really clear, that very early, very, very early in the life of the church, the year began to organize itself around Easter, around the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection, and then uh, around preparation to, to observe those things, a season of some kind of preparation of getting oneself ready. This uh, includes people who were converting to the faith early in Christian history. They would uh, have a period of preparation before they're sort of being brought into the fullness of the life of faith. And then for the whole community of faith, a season of preparation before remembering uh, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So that goes on very, very early on in the life of the church. And uh, the word Lent, by the way, you ever wonder where the word... I, like, growing up, I seriously get confused with Lent and Lent. You know what I mean? Like, I wondered if it had something to do with, like... I, honestly, I remember this moment where I thought, maybe it's like a metaphor, because, like, the Lent roller, you, like, you get all the gross stuff off of you, which has nothing to do with it at all. Uh, Lent just comes from the Old English uh, for the word lengthen. And, of course, uh, Lent is being uh, uh, turned to in the spring. And in the northern hemisphere, what happens in the spring? The days get longer, right? I and mean, that's actually where the word comes from. It's just it's the time of year when the days get longer. And overlaid on top of that is the spiritual practice of Lent. Now, um, that's, that's just like a little bit of where it comes from. There's a moment that sort of kicks off Lent, uh, sort of a strange and I think really beautiful uh, ritual or practice that's a part of that. And that would be the ashes. Anybody ever been out, like maybe you're not a part of a tradition that does the ashes and you're so embarrassed for all these people who forgot to wash their foreheads on a certain day, you know, it's really awkward, right? Um, I remember, I remember, uh, so I I was um, working at, you know, a big mega church that um, didn't have something like the ashes woven into its practice, but at the same time that I was working there, I was finding that some of these um, older and perhaps even more formal ways of, of worshiping and praying were really helpful to me. So I remember one year when I'm working at, um, at that church, I slipped out that morning and went to the Episcopal church down the street and did the Ash Liturgy, and then I went into my church, and all my, all my coworkers were concerned about me because they didn't know that I hadn't showered that day, you know? And I remember sitting in a meeting where, like, the guy leading the meeting, he kept looking at me, and, like, three-quarters of the way through, he's like, Jay, you got a little something on your forehead. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know, I know, we're, we're good, don't worry about it. Um, so the ashes uh, are a thing that actually happens to kind of lead us into the season. Now, um, there's a couple of ideas going on with the ashes, right? So ash uh, is a way of um, embodying or symbolizing repentance uh, for ancient people. When you said, I've got something to turn from, something to say I'm sorry for, 
something that's been wrong that I'm naming. Uh, ashes have been a way of embodying that confession or that realization or that awakening for a person. And then if you have the ashes imposed upon your forehead, you might hear a priest or a pastor or somebody say to you, uh, you came from dust and you'll return to dust. Uh, which, which might be, feel like, like a really heavier, browbeating thing to say, but in that what I really hear is a reminder that you're human, and that's okay. Uh, like in your carbon-based body, there's a start date and an end date to this form of existence that we experience. And the ashes provide us a sort of reminder or confrontation with that, a sort of um, awareness of that. Um, repentance and uh, claiming our humanity, our mortality, saying that, that we live in these bodies that have start dates and end dates. Now, the preacher in me hears those things and wants to scream, like wants to say, that's not the whole story about us, right? Like there's a lot of bad religion that is so exercised, so worked up about how mortal you are and how frail you are and how much you have to repent of and how broken you are and all the bad things that you've done. There's like a, like a way of doing religion which says your entire existence on planet Earth should be about hanging your head and talking about what's wrong with you. And I don't actually believe that that's the whole story about us, which is why we talk about like everyone an icon, like why we celebrate what is good about one another, why we're cheering for each other. But I'm also learning as a preacher that if we always try to cram the whole story into every moment, we tend to skip across all the parts of the story and don't sink deeply into any of them. And I, I really think Lent is an opportunity for us to sink deeply into some of these truths which are part of the story that we might be tempted to skip across if we try to always cram the whole story into every moment of our life together, which again is why like the seasons of the church, the liturgical seasons are such a gift to us. Um, so, so the ashes come on your forehead, and you're reminded, like, we, we do have some things to turn from, some things to repent of, some things to say that we are sorry for, as, uh, as an expression of our desire to move toward God. And we're reminded that we're human and we're mortal, and we aren't gods ourselves. And, uh, and then out of that moment of the ashes comes practices of abstention or fasting as part of a Lenten practice for people, Right? So maybe you've done it, maybe you've had friends do it, you give up chocolate or you give up, uh, you give up uh, alcohol or you give up Netflix, God help us, or, or maybe you give up cable news, please, maybe some of you give up cable news, right? Like whatever, like you give up something for a season uh, there. And what I've actually learned about that practice is it can be a profound gift. Um, I, I just heard a preacher who's a far better preacher than me uh, say that... Um, Yourself, the, the self of you, like the part of you that God is in relationship with, is not your idealized self. It's not your projected self. It's not the self that you portray. That's not the self that God is in relationship with. God is in relationship with your actual self. Um, God is not uh, in love with the, the self that you portray, the self that you project, the self that you are trying to create for the world. God is in love with your actual self. And sometimes that what we discover is that in, in, the, in the attempt to portray and project, project and create our own lives and idealize somehow, we end up developing patterns and incorporating things into our lives that are like part of that project. And as long as we're invested in that project, it, it's funny, like we may, with all of our heart, want to meet God, want to be close to God, want to move toward God. But as long as we're involved in that project, idealizing, portraying, projecting, trying to create some other image of ourselves. It's like God is waiting for us at our actual self saying, hey, I'm over here. 
Like, like I've been here the whole time. I'm actually over here. And in my experience, these, these practices of fasting or abstaining can provide a context for us to return to that actual self, which is a little bit frail, a little bit unideal, maybe not quite what we wish it were. But we give up the things that have been distracting us from the reality of our lives. We give up the things that have been medicating us or numbing us from the reality of our lives. We create a little space, a little silence, a little more sort of heightened sensitivity that comes from that. And it can be a little uncomfortable, but it's a profound gift. And perhaps in that experience, you discover that God, um, who we are attempting to return to in our repentance, is saying, I'm actually over here with your actual self, closer to you than you are to yourself. Like, like I've been here the whole time. And so to repent is to return to God and to return to ourselves. And then curiously this, it turns out that these acts of repentance, where we abstain, where we lay down, where we let go of something for a season... They don't tend to just return us to ourselves or to God. They tend to make room for our neighbors in a way that we haven't had that room in quite a long time. Like, like it may be in sort of projecting or portraying or idealizing. It may be that we um, have started taking a little more than we need from the world. Right? So we spend a little more than we need to. We give a little more of our time to the things that we want than we need to. And we take a little more from the table than we need, which means there's a little less on the table for someone else. And then in these practices of, of return, of repentance, of abstaining, of fasting, uh, we find there's a little more for our neighbor. Maybe a little more time to give to our neighbor, a little more opportunity to pray for our neighbor, um, a little more chance to give to our neighbor, even a little more margin in the bank account, because many of the things that we would give up might actually leave us with a little more cash to share with someone in need. Uh, this, in, in brief, is what I understand of Lent. Um, that the ashes remind us that we are called to a season of knowing our humanity, of entering into humility, of repenting and returning and saying there's ways that I've been projecting or portraying or idealizing that just aren't true. And I'm going to lay them down for a season uh, to say, God, I want to return to you, only to find that God was waiting for us in our actual selves, ready to receive us. And there we are, a little unideal, a little bit frail, but just irrationally, unbelievably loved. And that, to me, strikes me as the proper character for us to take on as we move toward um, the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus for the life of the world. So, um, so here's our plan for today. Um, we don't like really, I mean, that, that was the sermon, so you're over it. Congratulations. Um, we want to actually uh, use today to sort of begin our Lenten practice as a community. So the team is going to lead us in a bit of prayer and reflection and song. And then we're, uh, we're actually going to do the ashes today. You don't have to do them, by the way. This is totally not something you're being, like, trying to talk into or whatever. Um, usually, like, the ashes begin, like, for the Western traditions, they begin this coming Wednesdays when you do the ashes to kick off Lent. Uh, but if you're freaked out about that, let me just tell you that, like, in the global Christian calendar, there's a number of different arrangements. Like, there's, like, a whole half of Christians in the world for whom Easter is a week later this year. So just relax, breathe deep. Like, it's not quite as rigid as you might think it is. Um, and besides that, we call ourselves liturgically promiscuous. So this is an act of promiscuity uh, when it comes to the calendar, okay? Um, but so uh, we're going to pray together a little bit. We're going to meditate together a little bit. And then a little later to, uh, in this gathering, we'll create space if you'd like to have ashes imposed on your forehead. Or if you'd like to think about an abstention or an act of repentance that you could offer in the season of Lent. And, uh, and that'll be the way that we, uh, that we pray and practice today. Sound good? Good? Okay. Dan, will you lead us?
A lot of today is just creating space. Um, maybe you don't have that space in your daily life. Uh, maybe things are crazy. And uh, just silence would be a gift this morning. So we're going to hear some words of scripture. We're going to hear this passage read three times. And uh, in between, we'll just have some space to reflect. Uh, I'll give you a couple questions to think about. But maybe get comfortable, maybe set down your coffee, take a deep breath. And uh, a few deep breaths. Hear these words from Joel chapter 2. Yet, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. out to you? What word or phrase catches your attention? Hear these words and, and see what grabs you. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. some sort of action? Is it calling you to do something? 
put another way, is God calling you to action through this passage? Hear these words one last time. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Together, let's read this prayer of repentance all together. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Please forgive us, Lord, and bring us back to you. Amen. Again, we will run to you. We will run to you. We will run to you. Turning from our sin, we return to you. Father, heal your world. Make all things new. Make all things new. have a seat. I have to say, uh, the silence is always a little uncomfortable for me. I don't know about you. I know in my own life, if I avoid um, all that's uncomfortable, I will end up contorted and messed up, right? And I also actually believe that for a community. If a community avoids all that's uncomfortable, we'll end up not quite what we want to be or ought to be. And so uh, I'm glad that we are able to kind of walk with one another 
into that uncomfortable silence and kind of usher one another into those spaces. Next week, I'm really excited. Uh, next week, we're going to have a conversation, and I'm inviting a dear friend and mentor and board member of Southland City Church and professor at Bethel College, uh, Chad Meister, uh, to join me up here. And uh, Chad's going to help us um, process... There's all of these different biblical images and ideas and all of these historical theological ways that the church has tried to get its hands on the mystery of the cross. And when I say mystery, I don't mean something that we can't know, but I mean something that is sort of endlessly inviting us to know it more deeply. And so the Bible gives us um, several different sort of images and ideas, and the history of the church gives us different ways that the followers of Jesus have described that and worked that out. So Chad and I are going to, I'm going to kind of interview Chad about that next week. Don't miss it. Uh, I promise we'll keep it interesting, and it'll be fascinating, and I think it'll be really helpful, and I think it might open some stuff up uh, for us as a community. And then the following weeks as we move through Lent, uh, from time to time we'll probably check in and do an open floor and find out how the abstaining or the fasting or the letting go is going for you. Side note, remember, practices, not performances, means failure is not fatal. We're not doing this to prove anything, okay? So if you get into your abstention a little bit and like it's really hard, that's okay. If you don't make it, that's okay. Like, really, I mean that. We're not here to beat one another up in this practice. We're here to walk with one another in grace. And if you fail or if it's uncomfortable, what a fantastic opportunity to ask, why? Like, just get curious about that. Maybe you could learn something about some attachment to that thing. Find out what that thing is doing for you that maybe you didn't realize it was doing for you in your life. Maybe that's why it's hard for you to let it go. So we'll check in with one another from time to time in the next few weeks on our way to Good Friday and to Easter. And um, I, think that's all the, I think that's all the sort of partying announcements. If you're able, will you stand to your feet? And uh, I couldn't think of a community of people that I would rather walk toward the cross and toward resurrection and, and Easter with than you guys. I love you. And uh, today as we stand on that eve of Lent, let us say to one another, grace and peace be with you. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.